All right, welcome back to the Fuse Show, everybody. My name is Bud. I am the Chief of Staff at Xfusion.io and the co-host of the Fuse Show. I'm excited to be joined today by my guest, Joe Saunders. Joe is the founder and CEO of RunSafe Security. Joe led a team on a mission to disrupt hacker economics by immunizing software without slowing down developers. He also founded a nonprofit empowering survivors of child trafficking through educational scholarships. He and his wife have been married for 25 years, and they have two wonderful daughters. Thank you so much for being on the show, Joe. I am excited for this one uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, I am excited to learn about uh, security because uh, you are going to teach me a lot. I am excited to learn about your nonprofit. Uh, and uh, well, let's get into it. Tell me about uh, RunSafe Security, first of all. Happy to do it, bud, and happy to be on the show. So thank you very much. Uh, yeah, RunSafe Security is a cybersecurity company. Um, and when we started, we wanted to fundamentally change economics because in the security world, uh, the economics are in favor of the attacker. And when uh, my co-founder and CTO, Doug Britton, and I got together, we had this common bond around how can we change, uh, you know, the, the playing field um, to, to empower the defense to be as good as the offense, if you will. And so we found a way to make each uh, system that we protect, all the instances of that software, remain functionally identical but be logically unique. So if you think of maybe a car, every car software it has unique um, footprint um, that, makes, that keeps it functionally identical but is logically unique so that an attacker can't build a reliable exploit to compromise that system in an automated way. So how long of a road was that to make the defense catch up with the offense? How long have you been working? Well, it's, you know, so we, we launched the company uh, in earnest in June of 2017. Uh, and, you know, we were prior to that doing some research for um, some U.S. government programs through uh, U.S. military. Uh, and so we did a bunch of research prior to launching the company. Uh, and then when we launched the company and, and all of that, we set out on a mission in June of 2017, uh, and we went. We did a, a funding round in March of 2018, launched our product in August of 2018, and then you know 18 months later did our Series A round of investment. And I think you know it. It seems like uh, maybe many months ago, but there's been a lot of kind of fun uh, success stories. You know, today we're protecting firmware that goes on you know servers uh, that Dell and HP. Uh, offer. We are protecting uh, engine controllers for cars and, and planes and, and other kind of military aircraft. Uh, but we're also, you know, protecting uh, software that gets deployed in the cloud for, you know, enterprises and SaaS-oriented companies who don't want their systems to be compromised. And, you know, kind of what kept us going through all of those months, again, was not just was the economics, but also the notion that, uh, you know, um, people are looking for a different way. They're tired of chasing, you know, the problem and they want to get more proactive about it. So we figured out a way then to insert protections as you're building software so that they're protected at runtime. And we do that in a way that doesn't slow down developers. So this is my, with, with Xfusion, this is my first job into the world of technology and and i kind of purposefully stayed away from technology because i mean honestly i was a little bit I've, I've always been a little bit scared and wary 
of technology and, and the security risk that comes with it. Um, and as you can see, I'm the, I'm the chief of staff. I'm not in the technical part of this at all. Um, I'm in the people part of it. I like people. I don't like the technology. And this all kind of scares me a little bit. Um, even having my, my iPhone and, and all that kind of stuff, I waited until the very last minute to get rid of my flip phone and get into you know, the smartphone. So I, and this all just kind of, you know, my, <laughs> my boss, Jim, he's like, you're just going to kind of have to learn to live with this and get over it. Um, you know, come to the dark side, basically. So this, this all just fascinates me. Um, I, I was, when I was doing some studying for this show, I, I learned a, a new term, CICD, continuous integration, continuous development, right? You, you deal with some of this stuff. How do you, how do you keep safe these technologies that are in continuous development being continuously integrated into new products how do you stay ahead of the hackers while everything's being continuously developed like this just fascinates me and that's the great promise so that cicd technology as you describe it uh there are a bunch of tools that have helped development teams and it organizations to automate the build process once the developer is you know been able to you know kind of release new code or commit new code then a whole set of automated processes kick off to build and test and scan and then package that code up and deliver it out so that you get updates out in the field and so that process uh you know was kind of born out of a desire that we shouldn't be waiting a year or two years or three years before a new release of software we should have this continuous delivery ultimately. And that way our our users, our customers, our stakeholders who use the software we write are able to get the most advanced and and you know the best set of features. And if you think about organizations like Facebook or Google or Amazon or you know you know some really, really talented you know software development organizations, they kind of pioneered this kind of development that why should we wait? Let's push development, um, you know, new new features out to the users as soon as it's ready. And, you know, so as you say, you know, the, the downside of that is the potential risk around security. Now, the reality is that people that do this, you know, kind of continuous um, CICD, continuous integration, continuous deployment kind of methodology, they end up being more secure. And one of the reasons is that the security uh, tests and the security that you can build into that process can also be automated. And so if you can accelerate the release of new features, but build in security without slowing down those developers, then you can have the best of both worlds. You can have all the latest features that users want with the security built in. So the way we do it um, is what I talked about up front is we make it so that every instance of that code that gets released is identically functional, is, is functionally identical to every other version of that same software that gets deployed. However, from the attacker's perspective, it looks unique. So there's no change in behavior for the user, but for the attacker, it looks different every time they look to compromise it. And so that's how we stay ahead of the attacker and how we enable the developer to get on the high velocity code release schedule, but adding security into it. And technically I can get a lot more detail, but the key is that every instance is functionally identical, but logically unique 
So an exploit built in the lab can affect any of the instances of that software that gets deployed in the field. That actually, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's that's absolutely fascinating. That's yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. A lot more sense than it than it than it should actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess. Um, now there's there's got to be something in here that that gives that gave you a passion for this. What what in your past gave you a passion for security and and this, I'm guessing that that all of this is intertwined. Your your passion for security for this, and your passion for, you know, your your nonprofit. You know, I mean, it's the same thing. Kind of security for children, security for this. What what gives you this passion to protect people? Yeah, there's definitely a bigger picture involved when you think about cybersecurity. Uh, you know, and and there's kind of the the common analogy of looking at the the bricklayer and saying, you know, one one bricklayer is laying bricks, the other is building a cathedral. If you think about security, you can enable, you know, uh, you know, a safer world. You can uh, secure critical infrastructure. You can protect, uh, you know, how society should function. And our premise, Doug and I, when we started the company, was that the economics were not working in the favor of the, uh, you know, of the defender. And so if we could elevate security across critical infrastructure, across, you know, mission critical systems and make it so that society operates normally, you know, um, then we are, you know, having an effect on how our nation operates, how companies operate, uh, you know, in a very positive way. So the chance, so in the end, that means that a lot of cybersecurity is built around enabling the mission or supporting a broader mission that's bigger than yourself. And, you know, in that regard, um, you know, that's what makes security kind of an inspiring thing because there's so many reasons why things can break down. But if you can help enable, uh, you know, things to work and be safe, then you're, you're making a positive contribution. So I think that excites all of us. Um, you know, one person told me once that there's no such thing as mobility without some semblance of security. And I think it's that kind of motivation that we want, we want, you know, we live in a digitally connected world and we want to, uh, you know, interact in a way that keeps us safe nonetheless. And so we benefit maybe from, you know, many ways from the, the tech enabled world. And of course, there are downsides to the tech enabled world. But they shouldn't be compromised. You shouldn't compromise your security or your safety. Uh, when we work with folks in critical infrastructure or in things that have moving, you know, motors, if you will, things like airplanes and cars and you know, uh, you know, other kinds of aircraft, uh, you know, it's not just security, but it's safety. You know, there could be people's lives at stakes, and so there's a sense of mission and a sense of purpose to help enable what people want to accomplish technologically, but do it in a way that's secure and do it in a way that's safe. So I think in part, there's a bigger mission than just the technology uh, that we're having an impact on helping organizations realize what they want to accomplish, but helping society operate in a successful, secure and safe way. That's awesome. You hit on all kinds of stuff in that answer there. You hit on economics, you hit on critical infrastructure, you hit on, you know, uh, I mean, just homeland, I mean, er everything, right? So let's, let's kind of dig deep down into that a little bit. 
um, with everything that's going on right now, let's take like Afghanistan and everything that's happening right now. Um, how does how does this technology or just technology in general and geopolitics hit home with you? Like, what is how, the thing? Everything's going on with China. Everything's going on with Russia. Everything's going on with Afghanistan and and the U.S. right now. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for security, our cybersecurity. And I mean, their cybersecurity too. I mean, they're they're looking out for what we're doing as well. Like, talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, certainly any kind of military mission, uh, security is a key aspect of it. Uh, think, you know, you want to have the ability to realize mission success, and so you you are looking for ways to prevent, um, you know, uh, bad things from happening, and so. You know, if if there's a mission, there shouldn't be things that interfere with the success of that mission. So security plays a role. So no doubt in military programs, uh, cybersecurity is a critical thing uh, for every aspect of of an operation. Um, and as you see, in the geopolitical kind of sense, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I'm I'm inspired by is the future uh, that technology brings in the world of 5G, where we have you know, uh, very significantly uh, fast connections in, you know, mobile connections to the internet. And there's a whole new set of infrastructure around that. And what, and it comes with, you know, uh, you know, some potential challenges, uh, you know, with a lot more data, a lot more transactions, a lot more, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, opportunity with AI for, you know, people to abuse the technology, then, you know, there is a concern about, you know, the model in which commerce is done going forward. So if you think about maybe a top-down, centralized, controlled economic model that's leveraging 5G and surveillance and artificial intelligence, that's one model. And it's not a good model. It's not what, you know, um, folks in the United States and, uh, you know, in in democratically uh, free countries, you know, sign up for. Um, and so there's an alternative model, which, you know, is a series of interconnected, bottoms-up, technology-driven, uh, you know, um, e- retail and e-commerce and 5G-enabled interconnected economies uh, that can be an alternative to a top-down surveillance-oriented, uh, you know, model. And so I believe that through security, uh, in the world of 5G, where, you know, there's, that we need a series of interconnected, uh, you know, um, companies and ecosystems and, and countries. And so technology is at the nexus of that kind of, you know, threat to, you know, how geopolitics plays out. And in some ways, technology is breaking down the geopolitical barriers, uh, but there are threats that have to be overcome. And so with that, I think the Security is one angle in which those threats can be, you know, minimized or, or you know, uh, you know, enabled so that, you know, there is a model that allows us to, you know, um, benefit from the advancements in new technology. And, and just to throw in a statistic, I forget what it was, but the amount of uh, commerce that was generated in 3G, 4G infrastructure, as we shift to 5G, if that infrastructure is controlled by 
countries um, that may not have the same, you know, uh, you know, viewpoint in terms of how business should be done and how, you know, economics are planned or the economies are planned. Uh, you know, it it means that there's a lot of financial, um, you know, uh, risk at at stake, and the economics that come out of a five G world can help. You know, uh, you know, um, keep us going forward in a way that allows, you know, uh, our citizens to to live in a prosperous country. So I think in that regard, technology, the geopolitics, the nexus with technology, um, you know, you can see why security is important to enable, you know, the, a well-functioning free society. This whole 5G thing really confuses me. I hear some really good things. I hear some really bad things about 5G. I don't quite understand. Like I said, I'm, I'm the people person. I'm not the tech guy. I don't quite understand what all the five, the 5G Bola Blue is is about when when people are talking about the bad, um, but what I do know is it's supposed to be awfully fast and and good for us. Um, I don't know, maybe you can you can help me out there when people are talking about the bad things, um, but I, I I don't know, I don't know. I'm I'm a little I'm a little lost when it comes to all that kind of all that kind well, of. Well, I think it. Um, yeah, I think it comes down to building out the infrastructure and what technologies used to build to enable the infrastructure for the five G, you know, transactions. And you know, if you have infrastructure that's built, um, you know, in ways that you know perhaps uh, you know there there is security risk, then you know you're concerned. And so, who controls that infrastructure? Who who builds the five G network and who controls it? Um, you know, could mean that, you know, uh, different competing models, like I say, I say the top-down model that might include centralized planning and, and AI and surveillance, that's one model. And then there's the bottoms-up model that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, uh, has a slightly different model in terms of privacy and individual rights and things like that. And so I think, to me, the race with, you know, other countries um, around who controls the 5G networks is, you know, has, um, you know, a lot of consequences that are at play. Okay. That makes, that makes a little more sense to me. Um, let's go back, take a step back from, from the bigger picture and go back a little more towards, towards run safe. Um, Talking about your your mission and vision for RunSafe, how did you how did you develop what your vision for this company itself was going to be, and 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 how did that all kind of come about? Well, uh, so when Doug Britton and I got together. Uh, we wanted to find ways to change the economics, as I said earlier. And so we, we realized that we needed to uh, not just build technology that sort of, you know, that people think is a silver bullet, that they, people think is kind of a magic trick almost because they can't believe what, you know, kind of technological feats that we take. But we need to make it so that it was easy to deploy. So there were a couple principles on which RunSafe was built. We wanted to change the economics. 
We want to make it easy to deploy. And then we wanted to, you know, uh, enable, um, you know, uh, society to operate as it should in a secure and safe way. And so those are the principles that in kind of philosophical pillars that the company is built on. As we've gone forward, we've cut, you know, our vision for our product roadmap has evolved. And so whereas, you know, we see that um, our technology can be built in as soft as developers are building their software, we also recognize that there's a couple other factors at play um, that has enhanced our vision going forward for our product. Uh, one factor is that developers don't write all their own software. In fact, sometimes they're only writing about 10% of the software that goes into their products. They're using open source software or they're using components and libraries from third parties. And so we realized we needed to find ways to not just secure the software that you're writing, but secure the open source software that's out there that you include in your product package or stack. Uh, also, you know, we need to find ways to kind of secure the software supply chain. And so we've evolved our tools or developed our tools to work in ways that make it very easy to uh, add security into all those components, whether you write that software or not. And in that regard, as I look at the executive order that President Biden released in uh, earlier this year, April, May timeframe, uh, they talk about um, in that executive order, uh, this notion of a software bill of materials. And a software bill of materials is just like any other bill of materials, but for your software code. And as I say, you might have one product, but it could be comprised of 800, 900, 1,000, 1,500 different components. So that software bill of materials enumerates all those components. And guess what? Every one of those components has could have a potential vulnerability that an attacker could exploit. So we wanted – my point then, coming back to kind of the vision, is we want to make it very easy to add security into the software that you write, but also add security into that entire supply chain of software that you incorporate into your product stack. That's one thing that has evolved um, based on that foundation of, you know, uh, you know, changing the economics uh, and, and, and the other pillars. Um, the second thing that we realized is that current technology, when you scan software, uh, doesn't catch all the vulnerabilities. And so we wanted to figure out a way to collect vulnerabilities that are occurring uh, at runtime when you deploy your software that scanning tools are missing. So we, in addition to the security protections, we've released a software monitoring tool that looks for indicators of instability and vulnerability in your software. And we do that uh, in a way that allows us to identify vulnerabilities that scanning tools are missing today. So if you connect uh, securing the components of your software supply chain and then identifying vulnerabilities at runtime that scanning tools are missing, and you can give that feedback loop, then we have just dramatically extended the vision of our product and our product roadmap. We're you know hardening stuff in the software and the software supply chain, and we're collecting vulnerabilities that scanning tools are missing, and we're feeding that back so people can dramatically reduce the attack surface overall. So that's how our vision was started on the pillars in which we build our solutions. But we've also then evolved um, as we've listened to our customers about what their needs are.
Oh, sure. And and I think any successful company has to evolve as they as they grow and as they get new customers. And I mean, you have some some very impressive customers. Um, but uh, I mean, sorry, stumbling over myself here. But when you when you evolve your vision, your vision has to evolve. But your mission, I think, stays stays somewhat the same. How do you keep how do you keep your your employees um, from top down on the same mission? How do you how do you keep your um, how do you keep your company ethos good all the way down from from you the, being the founder clear down to let's say the janitors? You know how how do you do that? Well, you know we you know we've done a couple things. Uh, we have you know a series of different kinds of interactions that are both formal and then a lot of informal ones, and so. You know, uh, we figured out as a company that uh, every year we all need to get together in person, assuming assuming you can get together in person, and have a company kickoff where we review our plans for the year and review and make sure everyone understands how their role fits into the plans and the direction of the company. Uh, And so we need to lay out our plans for the year and our kind of vision for the future, do that every year. But in addition to that, every quarter, we're also getting together as an organization, setting goals for the quarter to make sure we're on path for our annual goals. Um, and that includes product development plans and sales plans and making sure those are aligned. So then we do that every quarter. But then we also do it uh, every week. We have a company meeting, all-hands company meeting, where we re- review engineering plans, sales plans, marketing plans, coordination, customer you know. Uh, you know, new new accounts and goals with with new customers, or you know, make sure we're on top of any you know customer support issues, and so we have a weekly call you know that that is focused on you know at, you know just kind of a weekly cycle, um, but we also try to have some fun, and so in the COVID world, uh, you know, one of the things I found actually um, you know uh, uh, you know expansive in terms of Zoom meetings and virtual meetings. Uh, is that you know we even though we have you know offices in Washington D.C. and Huntsville, Alabama, uh, I felt sometimes our weekly calls were point to point. You know, it was McLean, Virginia, calling Huntsville, Alabama, and there was a group of people on one line on one end and a group of people on the other end. That was just between one point and another. When we went to the virtual world and everyone was working from home, it sort of unleashed this. Uh, you know, buy-in to our mission and our, the closeness of our company, because all of a sudden we became almost peer-to-peer. And, you know, we had many people, you know, participating on all the calls. And I felt empowered in that uh, we could, you know, have every single person in the organization. Um, I could see what how they're reacting to our conversations. I could call on people and let them have the floor. And so in that way, you know, um, we use technology as well. So I think it's both those formal things that we do annually, quarterly, weekly. But then, you know, in our, uh, you know, day-to-day activity, uh, connecting through Zoom and being able to interact and sharing where our, what our plans are and getting feedback directly has been very, very empowering for me. Uh, and, you know, I, I can see that there's a lot of clarity 
in the organization in terms of uh, you know the the things that we're trying to do, and we've made some pivots as a company. We've uh, you know discontinued some some products, and we've continued on with those that are being successful. And that took a lot of communication. So ultimately, it comes down to no set thing, but having a commitment to communicate and listen and and get feedback from the whole organization. That's that's good. You know, this is as bad as COVID has been at times and with certain things, it really has been a good thing for the way that people have had to learn how to communicate and and deal with their employees at times. You know, I mean, it's, it's really made, it's really made organizations and uh, just people in general figure out how to communicate differently with, with people. Um, I don't know. I, it's not, it's not all been bad, um, I guess is my point there. It's, you know, I, I've, I've heard lots of stories about how companies are like, this has actually been a really good thing for us and, and how we communicate with our, with our staff. And, and there's, there's been a lot of good things to come out of this as well. So that's, that's good to hear. Um, let's go ahead and pivot away from run safe for a minute and i and then i encourage everybody that's listening to go to your website and just take a look uh it's it's very impressive to see what you're doing who your customers are i mean you have the air force the navy um you have ge aviation you have a lot of big name players that you are working with and i i just encourage everybody to go there and look but i want to talk a little bit about um Children's Voice International uh, as well while we're on this call. I want to know what your inspiration was behind starting this nonprofit um, and just how this whole thing came about. Uh, so if we could go there for a little bit, let, let's talk about that. Well, I, I would say that uh, it's going to sound a little counterintuitive, um, but you know, in the end, the real inspiration came from my mom uh, because uh, I'm the youngest of seven. And though I've had a pretty easy life, uh, you know, my family had one of our siblings passed away three months after I was born and he did not have a very easy life. He, uh, you know, he he suffered from a medical condition and passed away at a young age. Uh, and, you know, it, it certainly was one of those things that I think, you know, obviously uh, I, I never really knew him because I was two, three months uh, before he passed away. But I always felt that I've had an easy life and he had a difficult life. And so I was always looking for something to do. And my mom had six other children who grown into adulthood and graduated from college and uh, you know, on, on many different ways have been, uh, you know, uh, stable, happy, productive, you know, contributors to society. And I always asked my mom how she did it. How did she get six kids like that to, to, to have productive, you know, adult lives? And she said she never gave up on a child. Um, the problem is, and so that's really the inspiration. She never gave up on any of her children. Uh, and the problem is there's a lot of people in the world 
who have lost hope or have, uh, you know, not had their parents, um, you know, stick behind them and or they fell into, you know, a situation that they couldn't get themselves out of and they felt hopeless and, and no one was helping them get out of it. And so Children's Voice was created to, you know, um, you know, give hope when there wasn't hope and to help children uh, when when maybe, you know, others have given up on, you know, uh, helping them, you know, do the things that they want to do. So we started uh, and we've been helping uh, survivors of child trafficking, uh, you know, who want to pursue college. We've been helping them through educational scholarships. So Children's Voice partners with other nonprofits who have been helping survivors of child trafficking at other stages of their, uh, you know, uh, recovery, if you will. Um, and we partner with those organizations. And to those organizations, we say, look, we're offering college scholarships for, uh, you know, people that want to go to school that otherwise don't have that hope, that don't have that help, don't have, you know, the support to do it. Um, but we need to know, we need to make sure we know that these are legitimate cases. So we want to partner with organizations that are already helping survivors. And in that regard, then we help them for those who want to pursue college, uh, they can apply for a scholarship at childrensvoice.org. Um, uh, and with that, uh, you know, it's a competitive scholarship, but we have, we've, we've done, we've helped about 15 children so far, uh, are the first um, uh, scholars recipient just graduated from college is now living uh, in a major city around the world uh, and is, uh, you know, working uh, in, a, in the marketing field for a technology company. Um, and that, you know, uh, was inspiring because she was very, very talented and worked very, very hard uh, to get where she is. She's gritty and resilient and tough, uh, but she's also smart and she wanted to pursue her education. And she didn't really have uh, the means to do it otherwise. And so that's what Children's Voice is all about. Um, you know, if you, you know, what if I liken it to um, why I'm in cybersecurity and why, why Children's Voice, I think there's a common sense of mission around both of them where we're trying to help improve society. And in that regard, they're connected. Um, and it just happens that uh, in this particular case, um, you know, we we wanted to honor how my mom has helped children, uh, but do it in a way uh, that was a little bit different. Uh, because in my in my lifetime, my life's been pretty easy. I went to high school, I went to college, and I've been working. I haven't had too many traumatic things happen to me. And so I wanted to find a way to help other children who uh, may not have had such an easy road uh, and who, you know, uh, you know, are trying to, you know, uh, realize some kind of dream or goal of their own. And that, that's the inspiration for Children's Voice in general. That's awesome. And it, it just goes to show, like, you never know what one little phrase from your mom. You know, I just, I never gave up on a child. Did she ever think that that little phrase that she told you was going to turn into something like this? You know, you never know what you're going to say to somebody that's going to, that's going to impact them so deeply. You know, I mean, it, you just never know in a conversation what's going to happen. I, I think that's that's awesome. So you had your first 
your first graduate. So this is a fairly new um, endeavor for you. Well, it's over four it's years. So she it, she went to four okay, years of college and graduated. So uh, we've been going at it in earnest for five years. Um, we're building the five scholarship years. program into you know a pretty uh, interesting program with lots of recurring uh, donations and the like. And so, um, you know, we're looking for corporate partners. We're looking for nonprofits who may have uh, aspiring students that want to go to college. Uh, and we're looking for volunteers. And so, um, you know, we would like to, you know, double and triple what we're able to do. Uh, and that will come through, you know, corporate sponsors, uh, but also, you know, volunteers and nonprofit uh, partnerships. Yeah, I mean, still, that's five years is still pretty young for what you're going to be doing. And I mean, this is going to go for for a long, long time, I, I hope and pray. Um, I actually, while I was doing my research for this, uh, signed up for your newsletter for this because, I mean, this is this is big on on our hearts here at Exfusion. This is actually one of our Tra child trafficking is is one of our our things that we we highly support and and what we want to be a part of. Um, we, me and my wife, are uh, foster parents, and and so just dealing with with her children is is something that we do. Um, you know, so very highly commend you. For this and and I love that you're able to put put a uh, put a a deal out behind your your passion. I, I I love that you were able to actually put something out that you know I I'm not able to do this. I'm I'm glad that you are. Um, I can't even put it into words. Like I'm I'm actually getting emotional <laughs> right now. So. I thank you, and I will be looking more into this um, when we get off this call. But uh, um, is this something that's connected to RunSafe, or is this is this something that you and your wife are doing? Is this something that's just completely separate? Well, I should credit my wife uh, in that um, the very first person we helped, she read an article about the experience that person had, and so my wife you know, said someone needs to help her. And uh, it, it's a shame that she can't get to where she wants to go, given the experiences that she's had in her life that were traumatic. And so, you know, in that regard, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it was also inspired by my wife uh, and, and, you know, in terms of identifying somebody we could help. Um, but on top of that, we've got, a you know, a board of directors and we have, um you know, uh, volunteers that are are doing it. So uh, it's not affiliated with Run Safe Security. It is a separate purpose altogether. We do have a, um, you know, 501c3, um, you know, nonprofit designation. So donations are tax deductible. Uh, and we give the money directly to fund scholarships. So um, there are not any awesome. employees. And so we have some minor expenses, but our goal is to, you know, create the 
make it a volunteer-led organization to review the scholarships, uh, you know, applications, um, and in developing good partnerships with other uh, nonprofits who have relationships with students who could benefit, then we're bringing something of value to those other nonprofits because they can extend their uh, service to that same individual uh, by nominating, you know, candidates they think are good candidates for scholarship money. So, uh, so it's been driven by people who are inspired by the mission, uh, and then with the success of children going through the programs, um, it's inspiring and people get excited. So, I appreciate your support and interest in it, but and it's been a very oh, worthwhile endeavor for everybody. Well, I already told everybody to go to your your homepage or at. Safe security. I'm going to tell them to go to this one too, children-voice.org, and take a look at this. Um, uh, it's just, yeah, go. Uh, having said that, we're, we should probably dock this boat. Uh, you, you've got some other meetings you're going to have to get to here pretty soon. So having said that, tell everybody how, how else they can get a hold of you, and, uh, and, and we'll go ahead and finish this thing out. Absolutely. Uh, so they can reach me by email uh, at joe at runsafesecurity.com or visit either site, um, you know, uh, runsafesecurity.com or childrens-voice.org. Uh, and if you want to reach me at Children's Voice, it's joe at childrens, with an S, dash voice.org. So I'm actually accessible either way. I'd be happy to talk to you about security or happy to talk to you about scholarships. Uh, and but it was a pleasure to be on your your podcast today. And it was it was a pleasure to have you. I wish we had more time, and I don't know, maybe we can do it again, and I can learn a lot more. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you for having me, bud.